It is good to be in the house of the Lord. We are marching to Zion. Let's stand together and sing. Hard to march sitting down. Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord. Join in a song with sweet accord. Just around the throne and thus around the throne. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion. The beautiful city God. Let those Good to welcome you here today. Turn around and wave everybody to let them know that you're glad to see them here this morning. Uh, as Brother Wayne said, a good crowd in Sunday school, and so uh, we appreciate you being here in the worship service today. We are slowly coming back as we're able to. Uh, we're trying to, to be cautious, yet at the same time step out somewhat. We appreciate people wearing masks, social distancing. We appreciate people uh, trying to be cautious, and we want to do that as a church, but we also want to be pressing ahead and different ways. So it's good to see you here this morning. I want to remind you, if you're a first-time guest here, if you would take the little order of service and tear off the tab that says, Welcome to First Baptist Church, uh, fill it out. When the offering plate, the, no, the offering plate's not going to come around, is it? <laughs> the offering plates are in the uh, foyer on the table there. If you put in the offering plate as you go out, if you have your tithe or an offering this morning, uh, put it in the offering plate as you exit the service today. But it's good to see you here today. Good to see you. So, Brother Roger, you come and lead us again. We'll get, let's go ahead and let our children be dismissed. Uh, Children's Church? Children's Church, uh, you want to go with Miss Chris? You can go on out at this time. Had a good group of boys and girls today. Oh, me. I love singing for our Lord. I love singing the wondrous story. Let's sing. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. How we left. Yes, I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. Singing with the saints in glory, gathered by the crystal sea. I was lost, but Jesus found me, found the sheep that went astray.
time in our church opportunity for you to come down and bring whatever needs we have. I want to remind you that on Tuesday, it's going to be a day of prayer here in our church. It'll start at 7 a.m. Uh, our men always gather here. We've got a group of men that come at 7 o'clock on Tuesday morning for a prayer time, and we'll kick it off, and the church will be open all through the day until uh, 9 p.m. Tuesday night. So you can come and go, come and just spend time at the altar praying for our church during this time, also praying for our nation. There's so much to pray for right now with our nation. So come be a part of that. As you have opportunity, come by and just spend a few moments in prayer, praying for those needs, particularly from 7 a.m. until 9 p.m. on Tuesday. So come be a part of that. Now come for altar time now, right here now. You want to come and join me here at the altar to pray for different needs that you may have or you see around. Come and join me as you feel led as we gather here to pray for this service. in a word of prayer now. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you blessed us with. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you freely. Uh, thank you for Brother Robert being here and being such a good leader and ask that you uh, be with him and let him uh, give us the words you've laid on his heart and may we receive the words with uh, open hearts and open minds and be able to share that word with those we come in contact with. As you be with us as we go through the service and help us learn more about you, dear Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.
to the wayside. Just push everything out of the way. Totally focus on Him this morning. We sing praises this morning to make this place inviting for Him. To focus our attention on Him. Father, we just come to You, Lord, to sing praises to Your sweet name. Because You're worthy of our praise, Father, we offer it to You. It's an offering. We pray that you visit with us this morning. That your spirit has freedom to move amongst us. To touch our hearts. To change our lives. We sing praises. To your name. I sing praises to
just our voices. Alleluia. 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 Him. I praise Him. I will praise Him. I will praise Him. I will praise Him. I will praise Him. I sing praises to your name, oh Lord, praises to your name, oh Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing praises.
time of worship this morning. Now take your Bible and open to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Once again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're looking at verse 12 down through verse 28. This will conclude 1 Thessalonians. Of course, you've got to do 2 Thessalonians if you're doing the first one, right? So I'm going to go right and do 2 Thessalonians next week. I think it's a great series. <clears throat> it really speaks to our time. But I want to thank this morning on the subject, How to Live in Christian Community. How do we live together in Christian community? There's nothing like the church on the face of the earth, is it? There's nothing like the church. Because we're not a community, we're not a club, we're not a secret society. We're a body. We're the body of Christ. There's nothing like the church. I love the church, don't you? I want to take just a few moments to uh, reminisce, if you'll indulge me. <laughs> I want to go back to May 1983 is when I went to my first 
pastor at my first church, Belcher Baptist Church. I've talked to him many times about that. I've only served two churches, that church and this one. I just finished my degree at Southwestern Seminary. Got a call from a friend of mine who was pastor there at Belcher. He was about to leave to move on to somewhere else. He wanted to know if I was interested in coming there. I said, no, not really, but maybe I'll come and just supply for him a little bit. I really didn't want to come back to this area. I wanted to stay in Texas or go somewhere else. I wasn't coming back to Louisiana. We'll never say never, right? So I agreed to come. I preached on Sunday morning, Sunday night. And uh, after the service that night, the pastor search committee wanted to meet with me. Back then, they called it a pulpit committee. Remember that? Well, that sounds like you're looking for a piece of furniture or something. But the pulpit committee wanted to talk to me. So we met together. We talked for about 20 minutes. I don't think there's any more than that. They said, okay, you go out there on the front porch and wait out there and let us talk. So I went out on the porch for about seven or eight minutes. And they called me back in and they said, we want you to come back next week in view of a call. And I, I was just sort of speechless for a moment. I, I said, well, okay, I guess I can do that. <laughs> so I came the next week and uh, they called me. And I came. I thought, well, it's an opportunity. It's an open door. I need open doors. I need opportunities. So I can come here. I'll stay a year or two and then go on somewhere else. So I came there, and really, i got to tell you, I had no clue what I was doing. I really didn't. I talked to my friend who had been there, the pastor before me, uh, and he said, uh, look, if you make a mistake, don't worry about it. They're not keeping score. And I sure made plenty of them. I was just young and dumb, you know. But that church saw themselves, that part of their ministry, as they saw it, was to be a place for young pastors to come and get a start. Then they could move on somewhere else. So they were used to guys just like me. They were kind of young and dumb. Didn't know what they were doing. And they were real patient with that. They were also used to guys leaving after a couple of years. I stayed there 10 years. I didn't quite know what to do with that. But uh, it was a great experience. It was a great experience. They understood what it meant to be the body of Christ. They understood that. They really did. When I came here to, uh, to Benton, I really sensed God leading that. I sensed God leading me. God was in that thing going to Belcher. It wasn't something I had engineered or manipulated. It just fell in my lap. And when the opportunity came here at Benton, again, it wasn't something I was looking for. It just fell in my lap. It was just there. And I could sense God opening the door at that time. It was time to, to move on. This church had been through a very difficult time. They'd been through a bad split about two years before. And uh, they, they were really just starting over, basically. So I came with a lot of fear and trembling when I came here. I called Billy Pierce, who was pastor at Cypress Baptist Church for so many years, just to ask him about the situation here, what he thought about it. He said, look, what they really need there is stability. Just go there, preach the Word of God to them, love them, don't do anything weird. <laughs> just, just, you know, just do Baptist stuff, just be Baptist with them. That's what they need. That's what they need. And it's been an incredible experience. Both the churches where I've served, God has really blessed me. I think of my first church, and uh, I compare myself to you know, guys who came out of seminary with me. Many of them went to their first church, and they got ate up. They got chewed up and spit out. That was not my experience there or here. I've been so blessed. A lot of pastors, I think, love to trade places with me if they could. It's been great here in Benton. You folks are such a blessing. You understand what it means to be the body of Christ. 
You know, we're in another crisis time, aren't we? Different kind of crisis from what this church went through before I came, you know, church split. This is a lot different. Nobody sitting here has ever been through a pandemic before, have they? Some of you have been through church problems, church splits before in other places. None of us has ever been through a pandemic. We don't know how to handle this. We don't know what we're doing. We're just trying to navigate our way through this. But in a sense, we're starting over here in our church. We need to look upon that as a positive time to examine everything that we're doing and uh, retool ourselves, remake ourselves if we need to, go a new direction with things. That's really where we are right now. So it can be an exciting time for us. It's a time to remember what it really means to be the body of Christ, to be the body of Christ. Now, Paul ends this letter of 1 Thessalonians with some practical application, very practical application. What does a community of faith look like? How do we live together? How do we relate to one another? I might just stand with me. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. We'll start from there. Here's how Paul ends this letter. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord give them, and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what, that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, he will also bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this marvelous little letter. Thank you, Lord, for this, the practical words of encouragement that Paul gives to them, and he gives to us through this letter. Open our ears, open our hearts, help us to hear your word and respond to it this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How to live as the body of Christ, how to live in community. Well, Paul really breaks this down into, into several different categories. First of all, the responsibilities of, of the people toward leadership. Really think of the pastor there, but also the responsibility of people toward one another, that our responsibilities toward worship as we worship together corporately, as we come together corporately. So look at verses 12 and 13, responsibility toward leadership. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, it's only about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The church is very much in its infancy it's just a newborn thing. Very little structure in the early church. Nothing like we have it today. But you always have to have leadership, don't you? You have to have leadership. So there are leaders among these people. Now, there are several words used in the New Testament. There's, there's elder, there's, there's a pastor, there's overseer. As Baptists, we have always understood these terms really to be referring to the same office within the church, the office of pastor. We use different words today, don't we? We use pastor, we use minister, we use preacher. And uh, the words that are used in the New Testament 
emphasize different aspects of the office. Different aspects of the office. So, it's a two-way street. Sheep need a shepherd, but the shepherd needs to lead. Leaders need to lead. People need to follow, right? That's the way it should work. That's the way it has to work. So, think of the role of pastor. Those in a primary leadership. Many times, they had multiple pastors in the early church. But think of that role. Now, he talks here in these verses about the responsibility of, of the pastor toward the people. He does talk about that. Three things that the pastor ought to do. First of all is work hard. Work hard. The word he uses here describes laboring to the point of exhaustion. I get amused because there's still some people out there that think a pastor only works one day a week. <laughs> or maybe a day and a half if you count Wednesday. <laughs> no, it's the tip of the iceberg. I tell people preaching on Sunday morning is the easiest thing I do all week. It really is. It's the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes and you're involved in what's going on with people. It's draining uh, emotionally and spiritually and, and mentally many times. So the pastors ought to work hard. Secondly, they exercise authority. They exercise authority. They lead by example. I believe as a pastor, I ought to lead people like sheep. Don't drive them like cattle. In our churches today, there are, there are those, some pastors who have bought into the CEO model. The, the pastors like the CEO and he drives people mercilessly in the church. Well, that's not the model I believe the Bible talks about. First Peter chapter 5, the first four verses, to me, really describes what the pastor ought to be like. I've used these as sort of a philosophy of ministry. Peter writes here, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. You lead people like sheep. You don't drive them. You lead by example, and you do it as a servant. As a servant. You know, Jesus and his apostles, interesting interaction between them because uh, there are many times when those guys were, were jockeying for position. They're always debating over who was top dog, who was number one apostle, who gets to ride shotgun next to Jesus. And more than once, Jesus had to pull them aside and say, look guys, you don't become great by lording it over people. You become great by being a servant. Jesus himself set the example, didn't he? The Son of Man has not come to be served, but serve and give his life as a ransom for many people. So, the pastor works hard. He exercises authority. Also, he provides instruction. He provides instruction. I'm such a strong believer in what I call text-driven preaching. Expository preaching. People need the Word of God. They don't need my opinion about things. Or humanistic answers or entertainment. But that's what they're getting in many places today. More than ever, people need the Word of God. And my job is to help equip you for service. God's given certain gifts according to Ephesians chapter 4. Apostles and prophets and teachers. And th th what they do is they equip people for service in the kingdom. To equip people for service in the kingdom. So providing instruction. Now he talks in these his verses also about the responsibility of people toward the pastor. 
First of all, he says appreciate them. Appreciate them. That word means to know someone very well. To know someone very well and intimately and hold them in high regard and value their service because of that. It's easy to be critical of people when you don't know them. But isn't it strange how when you get to know somebody, you get to really know their heart, then you see them in a different light, don't you? Well, that's what he's saying about people toward pastor. Appreciate them. Then he says, esteem them in love. Hold them in high regard because of their calling. Now, you don't worship the pastor, right? I'm not infallible. I'm a human being, flesh and blood human being. But what he's talking about here is recognizing the call that they have on their life to do what they're doing. To be called to do what you're doing. So, esteem them in love. Then he says, live in peace with one another. Live in peace with one another. And the reason Paul says that, there may have been some conflict in that body of believers between laity and, and, the, and, the, and the leaders and, and the people. The, the lady and the leaders. There might have been some conflict there. We don't know for absolute sure because uh, the leaders of that church, you know, back then... You didn't go somewhere and form a pulpit committee and go find a pastor somewhere in another church. You didn't do it that way. Those who were leading these churches were homegrown. And so Paul would, would plant a church. He'd try to nurture that church. After a while, he would appoint leaders in the church. And it could have been some resentment between those who had been chosen as leaders. Maybe some people thinking, why'd they choose him and not me? Well, all these people, though, were very young Christians. Imagine taking it just from scratch. And you form a church, and then, then you have to, to appoint leaders. You have to raise up leaders within that group. There's got to be leaders, and Paul couldn't stay everywhere and be the leader in every church. He had to raise up leaders. That, that's a, a tough process. But uh, that's, that's what it is. So there may have been some tension between the leaders and the, and the laity. Some of you over your years have probably been in a church where, where there was conflict. And maybe the pastor left uh, under pressure. Maybe the pastor was fired. You know, the vast majority of the times when the pastor leaves under pressure or he gets fired, it's rarely over theology. Sometimes there may be a moral issue, but most of the time it, it's just personalities. A personality clash with people in the church or maybe groups within the church, something along those lines. Usually that's what it is. Usually that's what it is. I love this body of believers here. I love your support of me. I love your love for me. Thank you for loving me, loving my wife. I'll tell you what, pastor's wife is such a big part of, of what you do in a church. And I appreciate so much the way that you esteem her and you love her. Because she's so much a, a part of me. But you understand what it means to be the body. So look at the next verses, 14 and 15. He talks here about responsibilities toward each other. He's not talking to the leadership. He's talking about the body as a whole, the congregation as a whole. We have a responsibility to watch over one another, don't we? And he mentions three groups of people there who need special care. He says, admonish the unruly. Admonish the unruly. Now, sometimes there are people in the church that are difficult. You ever been in a church where there, there were people who were difficult? Well, there, you know, most church, all church, well, all churches, there's, there's people who are difficult. Now, I don't have anybody in mind when I say that, okay? <laughs> I promise you, I'm, not, I'm just saying it because it's true. I don't have anybody in mind when I say that. Now, if you think I'm talking about you, well, I don't know, maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you or something. <laughs> but he says, admonish the unruly. 
admonish those who, who, who are out of line. The word describes here like a soldier who's out of rank or he's disorderly. But then secondly, he says, encourage the faint-hearted. A different group of people. Encourage the, the faint-hearted. Those who are small of soul is what it means, or are discouraged. Handle them differently. Isaiah 42 describes the coming Messiah. And it says of the coming Messiah that a bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Some people in life are like bruised reeds, aren't they? They've been beaten up and battered by life. Some people are like a dimly burning wick. Their flame is burning real low, and the next thing that comes along is going to snuff them out. There are a lot of people like that. And the idea is the Messiah is not going to just snuff those people out when he comes. So people that are at that point in life, you handle that a lot differently than you do people who are unruly. What you do is you encourage them. People have been beat up by life enough. They don't need to come to church and get beat up here. They need encouragement. They need encouragement. Then he says, help the weak. Help the weak. He's talking here about those weak in faith, susceptible to sin, prone to fall off the wagon, so to speak. He says, hold on to those people. Hang on to them. Don't let them fall. Those people are out there. Admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all men. Is that easy? No. <laughs> Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. We're all at different, different places in our spiritual journey, and sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's hard to be patient with one another. But we're to do that. Look at verse 15. He says here, See that no one of you repays evil with evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another, and for all people. There's never grounds for retaliation against one another for what they have done. Romans chapter uh, 12, Paul writes over here about the same subject. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. He says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You know, sometimes people will refuse to be at peace with you, right? Well, you are to strive to be at peace with them. On your part, on your side, you strive to be at peace. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Some years back, I preached a sermon series on, on forgiveness. And I remember when I preached that series, I got one of the strongest responses I've ever gotten from people as saying that, that that meant a lot to them, that they needed to hear that. I think it's a real issue in our churches, the issue of forgiveness. The issue of forgiveness. I read a book a few years back entitled The Bait of Satan. The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. And he writes that book, because he says there's so many people in churches today who are getting their feelings hurt. It's, it's about being offended, about being hypersensitive. People got their feelings way out on their sleeve nowadays, don't they? They get offended over everything. Some people are just perpetually offended. And people have left churches sometimes over, over hurt feelings. Well, he writes that book to say the devil feeds on that. He likes to feed that. He loves to feed that, the bait of Satan. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
We as the people of God ought to be the first people to practice that, right? So, responsibility toward one another. And then verses 16 through 22, responsibilities toward worship. Now these verses, you could apply these to people as individuals, but uh, uh, just in doing some reading, different scholars, what they say about this passage, all these verbs are in the plural. It seems to be referring to the corporate experience of people. When we come together as God's people to worship, or whatever it is that we're going to do when we're together, uh, one writer takes this passage and looks at it this way. He looks at it as four essentials of public worship. Four essentials of public worship. So he says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Joyful worship. There's no excuse for worship being boring. I was looking at notes from a preaching workshop I went to a few years ago. And uh, Steve Gaines, who's pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in uh, uh, Memphis, was one of the speakers. And he had this handout, just had just uh, tidbits, just words of wisdom about worship and about pastoring and all that. It was really uh, interesting. So it was kind of amusing when he got to talking about worship. And he said, don't let your ministry music sing in Latin. I don't think Roger knows Latin anyway, so <laughs> maybe a little bit, you know. They said, don't let your, don't let your instrumentalists play Frankenstein music. <laughs> now, that, what a way to put it, you know. <laughs> now, his whole point is, worship shouldn't be like a funeral dirge. It ought to be joyful. It ought to be exciting to come together to worship God. So, Rejoice evermore. Then he says, pray continually. Pray continually. doesn't mean you have to stay on your knees literally 24 hours a day praying. We, we can't do that. But what it means is have an attitude and a spirit of prayer that permeates everything you do. We need more prayer as a church. The day of prayer Tuesday, don't forget about that. From 7 a.m. until 9 p.m. Come by here. Spend some time praying. Now, it used to be we encouraged people to come before Sunday school about 9 o'clock and just as you drift through here, just stop at the sanctuary, stop at the altar, and pray for the service. We have folks who used to do that. We could have drifted away from that. Let's get back to doing that. Come a few minutes early. Just come in here and just spend a few moments praying for the service. It makes a tremendous amount of difference when people are praying. We can't do too much praying. You know, Jesus, uh, when, he, when He drove the money changers out of the temple, He said, My Father's house shall be what? A house of prayer. A house of prayer. He didn't say a house of preaching or this or that. He said it should be a house of prayer. Then he says give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. One of the clearest evidences of new life in Christ and conversion experience is you're a person who's grateful. There is so much to be thankful for. Time's tough right now. Sure, a lot going on. But there is so much to thank God for. We're here, we're gathered this morning. We can come here and worship, you know. We won't be arrested for doing this today. That, that, may, that day may come. What happens then if that does come? Well, we stay faithful. We stay faithful. So there's always something to be thankful for. And then he says, uh, this is the will of God. He's referring to all three of those. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and all things give thanks. This is the will of God. This is God's will for you. Then he moves on in verses 16 through 22 to talk about listening to the Word of God. That seems to be the general topic of those verses there, 19 through 22. 19 through 22, listening to the Word of God. He goes from worship toward God 
more to people, God's people being edified through the Word of God. Through the Word of God. Certainly part of worship is hearing the Word of God. You can't have worship without singing. You can't have worship without the Word of God and expounding the Word of God. Now, you've got to realize, again, these people were in a much different situation from us. They did not have the New Testament. They did not have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament, but they did not have the New Testament. In fact, this book, 1 Thessalonians, is one of the first books that was written about 50 to 52 A.D., and then it's going to be the end of the first century before all the New Testament is written. The last books that were written were the writings of John, the Gospel of John, the Epistles of John, the book of Revelation. That was the last decade of the first century. So roughly a period of 50 years over which the books were written that comprised the New Testament. Well, they didn't have that. They were all types of teachers wandering around, itinerant teachers and preachers going around. And uh, people had to wonder, well, who do we believe? We believe this guy or that guy. How do we know he's on target? And so Paul is trying to help them navigate through this. He gives them some, some advice. He didn't want them to just uh, be gullible and listen to anybody that came along because not everybody who claims to speak for God really does. That's true today. That's true today. But on the other hand, he didn't want them to be cynical and, and not hear somebody who was speaking a genuine word from God. So he gives them some advice here. He says, don't quench the spirit. In verse 19. Literally it describes putting a fire out. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to indwell all believers. He indwells you and me as believers. He comes to take up permanent residence. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is, is to be our teacher. He is our ultimate teacher. He gives us understanding about God's Word. So you don't want to put out that fire. Then he says in verse 20, respond to God's Word. Respond to God's Word. Do not despise prophetic utterances. There were people who had a true word from God. They had a gift of prophecy. They, they could come and speak the word of God, speak words directly from God. The people are not to quench the Holy Spirit by not hearing them. But then he says in verse 21 and 22, to be discerning. Be discerning. Examine everything. Hold fast to what's good and abstain from what's evil. Be discerning. So many false teachers floating around. No New Testament completed at that time. And so he says to be discerning. They couldn't just accept everything, test everything, but he doesn't really say exactly how to do that in this passage. Now, you find that in other places of the New Testament. If you look at the words of Jesus and some of the other apostles, he tells you how to test those who are, who are teaching. So, you could ask some simple questions. This teacher that we're hearing, what does what he say square with the Scripture? Now, to them, Scripture was Old Testament. That's what they had. Remember Acts chapter 17, the believers at Berea? Remember them? It says they examined the Scriptures daily to see whether what Paul was saying was true. Well, talking about the Old Testament. That's what they had. So, examine the Scriptures. Does it square with that? Does this teacher, do they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Jesus is the Son of God. Do they preach a pure gospel, faith and not works? Do you look at the character of the, of the speaker? Does his life back up what he's saying? And then does it edify the church? Does it edify the church? Well, we're in a much different situation today than these Thessalonian believers. We have the complete New Testament before us today. So, what we have to do is simply test everything by the Word. I don't care how good somebody sounds. 
you know, how eloquent they might be, you know, how whatever. Test everything by the words of Scripture the Old and the New Testament. We have the New Testament complete before us today. Nobody's writing any new Scriptures today. Now, if somebody thinks they're writing new Scriptures, they're telling you they've got brand new revelation from God that's not in here, that's what you call a cult. That's where cults come from. So we're not adding to. So in that primary sense of the word, we don't have apostles and prophets like they did in the first century. We don't have men with the authority of Peter or Paul or John, you know, because the New Testament's complete. Now we have people who proclaim the Word of God, so you could say in that secondary sense that they're, they're prophets of God, they're proclaiming God's truth. Many people would refer to Billy Graham you know, as a prophet to our generation. I used to hear that quite a bit, and that's okay. I mean, uh, he's not Peter or Paul. He's not giving us Scripture, brand new Scripture, but he was proclaiming the Word of God. He was proclaiming the Word of God. So, for us today, we just test everything by this. We test everything by the Word. It's real simple. It's right here. And he concludes in verse 23 and following, May the God of peace himself sanctify you, and may your spirit and soul be preserved, complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He prays for these people to, to grow, to be sanctified. Faithful is he who called you, he will bring it to pass. Our God is always faithful. Pray for us. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Well, our culture is a little different, isn't it? <laughs> now we elbow bump, right? Our fist bump, but you know, the, the, you know the basic thing of what he means. Have this letter read to all the brethren. These letters Paul wrote were read to the churches. They were read to the churches. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Friday was a an anniversary for me, the anniversary of my ordination to the ministry. August 14, 1983, I was ordained to the ministry. Uh, it took place at the Belcher Baptist Church. took place there. Uh, my home church, Sunset Acres Baptist Church, was the ordaining church. I have a little ritual I go through every year on that anniversary, or close to it. I go back and listen to the recording that was made of the service that day. Uh, my home church pastor, Brother Harvey, brought the message. And he had basically two texts, two texts that he used. One was Isaiah 58, verse 1, where he said, Cry aloud, don't hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. And then 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8, he said, If a trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? He emphasized bringing a clear message. Being clear in what you're preaching. And there are others who have been a big influence on my life. They're part of that service also. I go back and I listen to that service. It's like experiencing it all over again. It was particularly meaningful this year when I listened to it. I always hear something I didn't hear before. It's amazing. Many times as I've listened to it, I still hear things I didn't really hear before. But I need that to go back and renew the sense of call. It reminds me of what I'm all about. Why I'm here. We all need that. We all can get to a point to where we dry up somewhat. We need renewal. We need refreshing, don't we? As a church, this time that we're in right now is a time that can be a great time of renewal and refreshing. Time to re-examine ourselves as to what we're doing as a church, uh, what our priorities, 
How do we go forward? Where do we go from here? What do we need to do differently? We've been talking about that in, uh, in staff meetings. We're talking about some things that, that we, just need to, we just need to have a different look as we come out of this. So it, it can be a good time. It can be an exciting time. I was reading an article just the other day. They polled a bunch of pastors about uh, this whole pandemic thing that we're in and, and just asked the question, what are things that you're struggling with? What issues are you facing, problems that you're having? And, of course, a lot of different things, different issues, things churches are struggling with. But uh, more than any other one thing, 27% of them said this, keeping the church unified. Keeping the church together. Keeping everybody on one page. That's a challenge during this time. We want to do that. This is the body of Christ here. There's so much love in this fellowship. We get it outside the doors. Man, there's so much hate out there today. They need the love of Jesus Christ. That's the answer for everything going on in our country is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We as a church family. Living in a church community. How do we do it? Well, it's right here. He's told us. More than anything, we, we love each other. We're to love each other. You know, Jesus told his disciples, the new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, you're to love one another. This is how all men will know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. So let's love each other like never before during this time. Let's look up. Let's be encouraged. Because God is faithful, as you saw right at the end there. Paul says, God is faithful. He will perform it. He will perform it. God is always going to be faithful to us. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to question that one bit. Let's be faithful to him. Let's stand together. We're coming to a time of decision, time of commitment. And I want to invite you, if you feel led, just come down here to pray for the church. And pray that we continue being the kind of people, the kind of church, the kind of body that we need to be here. Maybe God's speaking to you about some other need. Whatever it is, let God touch your heart today. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here to worship you and praise you. Lord, it's been a great day of worship here in your house. And we come now to these moments of commitment. And Father, I pray for every person sitting here that you touch their hearts, Father. If there are decisions that need to be made here today, Lord, I pray you touch them. I pray that nobody leaves without doing what they need to do, Father, in the way of business with you. And we give you all praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, prepare me, be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. Thank you.
where you are as uh, Terry just continues to play for a moment just bow your heads in prayer as these people pray at the altar you pray where you are let God make you a sanctuary a dwelling place for him Great worship time this morning. Glad you're here. You glad you came? Amen. Been good. Been good. I want to remind you about the uh, box uh, that's out there on the table. We are addressing little cards of encouragement to those in the Sheriff's Department, and uh, we still need <coughs> some folks to do that. If you've not done so, stop by and uh, fill out one of those cards. I think we're taking them this week, right, Betty? All right, we're going to go ahead and take it down there. So if you're going to do that, uh, you need to do that today. But we need to encourage those folks who are in law enforcement. All those folks who are on the front line doing those kinds of things need to need our encouragement. All right, uh, Brother Roger, lead us in a song as we get ready to dismiss. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest rainbow. 